0: all right cool so something new again uh freud good old freud i am by no means a freudian nor a psychoanalyst so this is uh a little bit out of tune with me but that's what we do we want to look at everything Uh, so this text group psychology and the analysis of the ego is a little bit of a misleading title coming out of the german so in german the title is uh mass i don't know how to pronounce it right but mass and psychology undik analyse. i don't know yeah but uh the part that's important there is that the group psychology in the original german is mass psychology and i don't know why the translator would have gone from mass to group, because these are two very different things. Uh, And, you know, we'll get into the implications of this a little later on. And at some point, I plan to look at Adorno, uh, because in Adorno's The Culture Industry, there's a chapter on Freud where the idea of mass psychology is is a lot more um, appropriate. And it's certainly the case even within Freud's text here. So as we read it, I'm going to make some allusions to populism in all its forms uh, that has much more of an affinity with the idea of the mass than it does with with a group. Okay, so this text starts out easily enough. Okay, So in the introduction, Freud says right off the bat that it's really um, uh, misleading to think that individual psychology is just interested in individuals. So we might think of another kind of Freudian maxim where uh, any kind of mental ailment is really an ailment with civilization right it's really an ailment with society so he says the contrast between individual psychology and social or group psychology which is at first glance may may seem to be full of significance loses a great deal of its sharpness when it is examined more closely that is because uh It's impossible to understand individuals without understanding them in some kind of context, so that context in relation to other individuals, so he goes on. So, but only rarely, and under certain exceptional conditions, is individual psychology in a position to disregard the relations of this individual to others. So certainly, if we think of the kind of the biggest thing that Freud gave, uh, psychology, or at least even philosophy, think of the Oedipus complex. The Oedipus complex does not happen in isolation. The Oedipus complex complex only comes about by a person being in a certain kind of relationship to their parents and to the other kinds of Oedipal, Oedipalized people around them. So then he kind of concludes this idea suggesting that first individual psychology is at the same time than social psychology. So group psychology, this idea that you know he's he's working towards, Is for him as follows so it is therefore concerned with the individual man as a member of a race of a nation of a caste of a profession of an institution or as a component part of a crowd crowd of people who have been organized into a group at some particular time for some definite purpose so how group psychology has been traditionally kind of understood is it is that it has some kind of connection to herd instinct or group mind, as Freud says. So some people, and this is what Freud wants to try to critique, want to say that this kind of group mentality uh, has far-reaching roots in uh, human evolution, whereas Freud wants to say that that's not exactly the case. And he says that that the social instinct may not be a primitive one and insusceptible of dissection, and that it may be possible to discover the beginnings of its development in a narrower circle, such as that of the family. So that's that gets us sets the stage for what we're going to do here. So moving into the kind of core of the text, uh, Freud first takes aim at Le Bon. So Le Bon. So as his name as his name would suggest, he's a French uh, was a French psychologist. Uh, or well, he studied a number of different fields. Uh, but his big text was called um, the uh, the crowd, uh, a study of pop a study of the popular mind. Sorry. So this was. Uh, this is the text that Freud is going to be speaking against. So according to Le Bon, as Freud cites, uh, he says that the most striking peculiarity presented by a psychological group is the following. Whoever be the individuals that compose it, however, like or unlike be their mode of life, their occupations, their character, or their intelligence, the fact that they have been transformed into a group puts them in possession of a sort of collective mind. Sorry, which makes them feel, think, and act in a manner quite different from that in which each individual of them would feel, think, and act were he in a state of isolation. There are certain ideas and feelings which do not come into being or do not transform themselves into acts, except in the case of individuals forming a group. The psychological group is a provisional being formed of heterogeneous elements, which, for a moment, are combined, exactly as the cells which constitute a living body formed by their reunion, a new being, which displays characteristics very different from those possessed by each of the cells singly. So according to Freud, what this passage tells us is that, and this is Freud, these are Freud's words on page 9, Le Bon thinks that the particular requirements... Of individuals become obliterated in a group and that in this way their distinctiveness vanishes so in the formation of a group each individual loses who they are as individuals and through these individuals coming together they as a mass as a group mass form an almost homogeneous new individual so this new individual as it has been understood uh, is is that is, this, this is a group individual, sorry. So the group individual, we know that they uh, kind of take on this new characteristic or this new individuality according to Le Bon, because we have seen that they are capable of acting in totally different ways than any of those individuals would have on their own. So when in a group, people, you know, they uh, going into group mind or, or herd instinct would do things that they would otherwise not do. The real individual then, or, you know, one of the people that make up the group, then loses all their autonomy, or in um, Le Bon's words, he says that he is no longer himself, but has become an automaton who has ceased to be guided by the will. What all of this points do for Le Bon is the becoming of an individual, or sorry, the becoming of a barbarian. So in the group, the individual becomes a barbarian. They go down in intellect. And go up in emotion. They go up in uh, kind of uh, um, uncontrollable desire uh, that signals they're not being of like a higher quote-unquote higher mode, but of a regressive, primitive one. The group-individual then, according to Le Bon, is like a big unconscious that is flo- floating around. Right? It only takes up the desires that lie deep within individuals. Therefore, it is barbaric, and therefore it's also very manipulable. It can be swayed in ways that individuals that have uh, their ego and superego, so those two parts of the individual that um, kind of controls their actions in a conscious manner, goes away in favor of the id, which is a lot more spontaneous and a lot more unpredictable. So uh, for those that aren't aware, in Freud there are three kind of domains of the human psyche there's the id so that's the unconscious that's where you have like uh, your desire to kill people and your uh, survival instincts and your desire to uh, copulate and all that kind of stuff the ego is a lot more complicated let's just say in my kind of simple understanding uh the ego corresponds to the domain of the almost subconscious. So this is where you are, are Oedipalized and socialized in a manner that puts you specifically within a context and makes you an active agent within that context. The ego or the superego is like who you are. So you, what you want, what you desire, you know, uh, who you want, who you desire, all these types of things that you have a, a good deal of sway over. So it's kind of like your opinions and your beliefs and all that. So as a kind of preliminary critique of Le Bon, Freud says that it's not so simple as to say that people in a group are simply guided by some kind of like primitive mentality. In fact, he says that but under the influence of suggestion, groups are also capable of high achievements in the shape of abnegation, unselfishness, and devotion to an ideal. So right off the I well, not right off the bat, but this is how Freud is going wants to try and problematize Le Bon's kind of simple understanding of what it means to be a part of a group or a mass. So for Freud, this group instinct then uh, contrasts with the individual who, guided by their own interests, uh, kind of close the world off around them, right? in favor of themselves. whereas in a group, Great things can be done because suddenly you feel like the other feels. There is a connection there that might otherwise have been sequestered or obfuscated under the weight of individuality. In a group, as Le Bon kind of continues, uh, a group is most often formed around a leader. So a leader is a lot, it's a very complicated idea, like who constitutes a leader, and Freud points out that it's difficult to trace a guiding thread through Le Bon's argument so i'll read kind of in length here uh, what freud says about that so he ascribes that is Le Bon ascribes both to the ideas and to the leaders a mysterious and irresistible power which he calls prestige prestige is a sort of domination exercised over us by an individual a work or an idea it entirely paralyzes our critical faculty and fills us with astonishment and respect. It would seem to arouse a feeling like that of fascination in hypnosis. He distinguishes, that is Le Bon, distinguishes between acquired or artificial and personal prestige. The former, so that is acquired or artificial, uh, artificial prestige, is attached to persons in virtue of their name, fortune and reputation into opinions, works of art, etc., in virtue of tradition. Whereas uh, personal prestige is attached to a few people who become leaders by means of it, and it has the effect of making everything obey them as though by their operation of some magnetic magic. All prestige, however, is also dependent upon success and is lost in the event of failure. So that is that kind of wraps up how Freud accounts recounts Le Bon's argument. So beginning with the next chapter, uh, titled Other Accounts of Collective Mental Life, he begins it, but not right at the beginning, a few lines down. He says that, but we must now add that as a matter of fact, none of what Le Bon's statements bring forward is anything new. And what Freud is getting at here is suggesting that Le Bon's uh, formulation of group psychology or mass psychology was simply reductive. Now, to kind of extend an olive branch, Freud says that uh, Lebo himself was prepared to admit that in certain circumstances, the morals of a group can be higher than those of the individuals that compose it, and that only collectivities are capable of a high degree of unselfishness and devotion. To which Freud is says, well, what what is it? Is it that the group is simply an extension of a kind of primitive herd instinct, or does it point to a like a new kind of transcendent possibility, so F- Freud, kind of scratching his head, says, "Well, we almost have to do away with Le Bon and say instead we have to think we have to think about groups in another way." But I should add that this isn't uh, this isn't specific to Le Bon. Freud presents a number of other thinkers, like McDougall, for instance, who pretty much say the same thing that groups are kind of primitive manifestation yet are in many ways necessary for the attainment of some kind of like higher order where most most of these thinkers these psychologists kind of rest on the former right so they see it primarily as being a residue of a primitive instinct but then kind of tease the fact that maybe maybe there's this potential with it and again, in McDougall, there's this idea that intellect goes down and affect or emotions go up in the group. So Freud then, Freud then presents McDougall's uh, own theorization to attain a kind of benevolent group. So for him, you know, as I said, groups are innately primitive, but that there is a way for them to attain this higher order. So McDougall is one kind of that kind of traces this out. So he has five principles. The first goes as follows. Uh, there must or there should be some degree of continuity of existence in the group. So this may be either material or formal. The former in the sense of in, in, if the same individuals persist in the group for some time and the latter if there is developed within the group a system of fixed positions which are occupied by a succession of individuals. Okay that was principle number one. Number two Uh, the individual member of the group, some definite idea, should be formed of the nature, composition, functions, and capacities of the group. Okay, fair. Number three, uh, the group should be brought into interaction, perhaps in the form of rivalry, with other groups similar to it but differing from it in many respects. Okay, number four, the fourth is that the group should possess traditions, customs, and habits, and especially such as determine the relations of its members to one another. And then finally, number five, the fifth is that the group should have a definite structure expressed in the specialization and differentiation of the functions of its constituents. So what all these principles kind of amount to are the, or is the containment of the emotional aspects of group life that can be kind of cathected into productive forms, right? So in these kinds of rivalries or these organizations or these rites and rituals, or a better word, maybe sublimated in those in those ways and then so that the individuals within the group can engage in the intellectual tasks so that propels us then into chapter four suggestion and libido so what freud wants to do in this chapter as he says is to uh discover the psychological explanation of this mental change so from an individual to a group or from intelligence to uh Unintelligence or primitiveness or whatever uh, of this mental change, which is experienced by the individual in a group. So this relative diminishment of intellectual capacity in favor of affect or emotion uh, comes about through suggestibility, right? So we might think of like uh, the hypnotist who, who, not you know actually controlling people per se, but through the power of suggestibility, that is getting people to do things of their own volition almost. Um, Freud says that we have to take greater care of analyzing that specific force in rendering people docile, more affect-prone in their uh, in the group. So he says, but there has been no explanation of the nature of suggestion, that is, of the conditions under which influence without adequate logical foundation takes place. So he says that in order to do this, he shall make an attempt at using the concept of libido the purpose of throwing light upon group psychology, a concept which has done us such good service in the study of psychoneuroses. So he defines libido as follows. So it is an expression, this is on 37, sorry, it is an expression taken from the theory of the emotions. We call by that name the energy, regarded as a quantitative magnitude, though not at present actually measurable, of those instincts which have to do all that may be compared under the word love the nucleus of what we mean by love naturally consists and this is what is commonly called love and what the poets sing of in sexual love with sexual union as its aim so he's he's planting the seeds here for his opposition to these other psychologists who in diminishing the power of groups by saying that there's a decline in intellect and that the only way to attain this intellect is by following very precise kind of principles and guidelines Freud says that we can actually see something quite good in the formation of groups or, or in the formation of a mass. That is love. That is, there is a connection occurring that is good for humans. However, bringing the discussion to love or the, the libido has not been without its criticism. So he says 39 the majority of educated, in, Brack, in uh, quotes, educated people have regarded this nomenclature as an insult. And have taken their revenge by retorting upon psychoanalysis with the reproach of pansexualism. Anyone who considers sex as something mortifying and humiliating to human nature is at liberty to make use of the more genteel expression eros and erotic. I might have done so myself from the first and thus have spared myself such opposition, but I did not want to, for I like to avoid concessions to faint heartedness. Which is kind of a funny way of saying that he didn't care. Uh, he he could very well have used the term eros or erotic terms taken up by Marcuse or kind of focused on, uh, even though he talks about whatever, um, uh, and instead sought out the word that was going to elicit the greatest kind of emotional response in people, almost to prove a point. So what the libido tells us for Freud is um, is that love relationships also constitute the essence of the group mind. So the other psychologists ignore this possibility in favor of keeping that uh, kind of galvanizing thread that is for the libido for Freud, keeping that hidden, right? They don't want to talk about the power of sexuality or love in forming groups because that's, you know, low culture. That's, you know, pathetic. And with that, into sliding and dovetailing into chapter five here, where he's going to talk about two, or as it's called, two artificial groups, the church and the army. So in the discussion of groups historically, and more specifically around uh, the leaders that form them, Freud says too little attention has been given to the distinction between groups with leaders and groups without leaders. So, and in complete opposition to the usual practice, he says, we shall not choose a relatively simple group formation as our point of departure, but shall begin with highly organized, lasting, and artificial groups. So this is a, an important distinction, right? So uh, an equivalent we might draw today would be like um, a, the, a hockey team winning and that city like burning the city down, pretty much, or losing and burning the city down. That, for the other psychologists, would be perfect example of a kind of regressive groupthink. And, the, you know, of course, there's a little merit to that. But Freud wants to say, no, not quite. There is more going on here. So instead of just focusing on these kind of extreme examples that certainly attest to uh, the a diminishment of intellect in favor of emotion, Freud says that we have to expand our understanding of groups. So to do that, hence the church and the army. So they are, he characterizes them as follows. So in a church, and we, sorry, on 42, in a church, and we may with advantage take the Catholic church as a type, as well as in an army, however different the two may be in other respects, the same illusion holds good of their being a head in the Catholic church Christ, in an army, its commander in chief who loves all the individuals in the group with an equal love. So everything, he continues, depends upon this illusion. If it were to be dropped, then both church and army would dissolve, so far as the external force permitted them to. So in the case of the church, Freud says that there is a democratic character to this kind of organization, or this kind of group, this kind of mass, where uh, everyone is equal in the eyes of Christ. That is, they're equal in love that he has for them. So the army, the example of the army, gives us another peek into another way that the group is formed. So it's not only through love for the commander, but Freud says that there's something that else that occurs in the moment of panic. So panic, he says, arises if a group of that kind becomes disintegrated. So this panic, which causes a sense of dread in the individual, does is not a kind of hysteria that should be understood in, in terms of the other psychologists who would say that uh, this signals the rise of emotion and, a- and affect. Freud says instead that the existence of panic signals just how strong the libidinal uh, energy is when there is a kind of proper formulation. So as he says on 47, now that he is by himself, so that is the, the person experiencing panic, Now that he is by himself and facing the danger, he may surely think it greater. The fact is therefore that panic dread presupposes a relaxation in the libidinal structure of the group and reacts to it in a justifiable manner. And the contrary view, that the libidinal libidinal ties of the group are destroyed owing to the dread in the face of the danger, can be refuted. So the libidinal ties don't get removed because of panic, Panic comes about when the libidinal ties have been removed. So in considering both the church and the army, uh, Freud says that, you know, we should also pay heed to the fact that they might point to a general degree of love for those that subscribe to that doctrine. Uh, they st- they're still rather oppressive to groups that don't. So th- there is that kind of negativity present with the group. Or that particular group so he says that however difficult or sorry fundamentally indeed every religion is in this same way a religion of love for all those whom embrace it while cruelty and intolerance toward those who do not belong to it are natural to every religion all right so from here into the next chapter uh, chapter six so further problems and lines of work so now he wants to consider group uh, different groups without leaders or group Jesus, compare groups with leaders and without. So in his words, we should consider whether groups with leaders may not be the more primitive and complete, whether in the others an idea, an abstraction may not be substituted for the leader, a state of things to which religious groups with their individual head form a transition stage, and whether a common tendency, a wish in which a number of people can have a share, may not in the same way serve as a substitute. So that is without without a leader, like a person leader, but or a thing leader, like an idol, uh, and instead around, like a uh, around a kind of social, more social thing, so that even these social groups can be understood as connected through libidinal ties. So this brings us into another problem, though, where. Uh, similarity breeds contempt to some extent where freud points out the problem that too much proximity to others produces issues so he says that the evidence of psychoanalysis shows that almost every intimate emotional relation between two people which lasts for some time leaves a sediment of feelings of aversion and hostility which have first to be eliminated by repression so he gives the example of when two uh, two people marry one another you know, they're going to breed contempt through this kind of contractual uh, uh, marriage. But he also extends the metaphor to suggest that the families, the two different families will have tension in that one will consider themselves superior to the other. So what do we do with that? Well, he says that, but the whole of this intolerance vanishes temporarily or permanently as the result of the formation of a group and in a group. So long as a group formation persists, or as so far as it extends, individuals behave as though they were uniform, tolerate other people's peculiarities, put themselves on an equal level with them, and have no feeling of aversion towards them. So what curbs this these tensions is is love. So love for oneself knows only one barrier, love for others, love for objects that this is produced by a libidinal connection occurring through the group. So uh, these, these libidinal desires or libido desires or however you want to frame it, uh, come out in sublimated forms that make them productive to some extent. So as he says on 57, and this is true both of the sexual love for women with all the obligations which it involves of sparing that woman are fond of. And also of the desexualized, sublimated, homosexual love for other men, which springs from work in common. So this is the idea of sublimation, where you, you have a desire that you cannot enact, because you know society tells you you can't, like the desire for homosexual love with your uh, same-sex friends. And instead, you sublimate it, so you transfer that energy onto a productive sphere. So in the case of a group where uh, these kind of love or libidinal desires are harnessed, they are sublimated in a way that works for the betterment of that group. So the working together of people, the being in close proximity and connection to one another in ways that not only satisfy a kind of desire through sublimation, which is kind of an oxymoron, you know, sublimation does work to some extent to satisfy desire Um, but it also works to keep the group going because the group is what promises this it kind of allows this sublimation so another fancy word that we can associate with this is cathexis so c-a-t-h-e-x-i-s so to be cathected or to cathect something is the transference of of an energy into something like uh, sublimation does So sublimation, cathexis are present in groups in such a way as to make the group stronger and to make the bond stronger. And that pushes us, these chapters are really short, so that's why it's so quick, so it pushes us into chapter 7, identification. So we start this one out by saying that identification is known to psychoanalysis as the earliest expression of an emotional tie with another person. It plays a part in the early history of the Oedipus complex. A little boy will exhibit a special interest in his father. He would like to grow like him and be like him and take his place everywhere. We may simply say that he takes his father as an ideal. This behavior has nothing to do with a passive or feminine attitude towards his father and towards males in general. It is often the contrary, typically masculine. It is on the contrary, typically masculine. It fits in very well with the Oedipus complex for which it helps to prepare the way. So in this moment, he continues at the same time as this identification with his father, or a little later, the boy has begun to develop a true object cathexis towards his mother, according to the anaclyctic type. So anaclyctic being the idea of um, depending on the mother for your safety and, and all that. So the child wants to be the father, wants to be like the father, but depends on the mother for its survival. So, you know, obviously we can there are a number of problems with this. This relies fundamentally on a heterosexual understanding of, of family relations, a monogamous understanding of family relations, a Eurocentric understanding of family family relations, a very individualistic understanding of family relations, which we should always keep in mind when reading Freud. Uh, at some point, you know, I'll get to anti-Oedipus. That would, <laughs> that's a pretty brutal critique. Um, but, you know, it's always good to keep these ideas in the back of our head, right? Because, you know, you don't want to go too far down the Freud uh, tunnel. Don't take the drink the Freud Kool-Aid. So this process of identification works as follows. So first, this on 65, identification is the original form of emotional tie with an object. Secondly, in a regressive way, it becomes a substitute for a libidinal object tie, as it were, as it were by means of the introjection of the object into the ego, and thirdly, it may arise with every new perception of a common quality shared with some other person who is not an object of the sexual instinct. So to put that in English, uh, it first occurs when an object is invested with a sort of um, emotional uh, potential, okay? So that object, being the mother in some cases, or uh, through in the oral phase of the child's development, anything that they can eat, right? So that thing they consume, put into themselves, and and therefore like kind of invest into themselves by as- ascribing it with a certain meaning. Okay, number two. Uh, so um, it then becomes, in a sublimated way, it is where you transfer your transfer your libidinal or sexual energy. Okay, so in societally productive ways, you then transfer it onto X, Y, and Z domains. And then thirdly, identification uh, points to the forming of groups with others that have gone almost through the same stages. So to reiterate, he says that it may arise with every new perception of a common quality shared with some other person who is not an object of the sexual instinct. So this serves the base of the forming of a group. Where there is as freud says it is based upon an important emotional common quality and we may suspect that this common quality lies in the nature of the tie with the leader so then he gives the rather problematic example of homosexuality or male homosexuality where he says that a young man has been unusually long and intensely fixated upon his mother in the sense of the oedipus complex so but at last after the end of his puberty the time comes for exchanging his mother for some other sexual object things take a turn a sudden turn the young man does not abandon his mother but identifies himself with her he transforms himself into her and now looks about for objects that can replace his ego ego for him and on which he can bestow such love and care as he has experienced from his mother so fuck like you know take that with a grain of salt but what i for obvious reasons but what i will say is that at a method uh, a me- methodologically or as his method he does a very good job here at giving an example that directly speaks to what he has crafted so if there's anything to take from this it'd be a good template well not a template you aren't just copy it but a good way to push your own ideas where you have an idea and then you craft an example that fits in perfectly now Obviously, there are limitations because this example implies a number of things that homosexual men have some kind of more of an affinity with the mother than heterosexual men. But, you know, whatever. Uh, But still, it is an interesting way to go about arguing this point. So then we're introduced here to the idea of the ego ideal. So this is a super important idea in Freud. So in order to illustrate the ego ideal, we need to draw a line. So imagine a line with three points on it, two points on either end, so one point on either end, and then one point in the middle. So that point in the middle, so the point in the middle is the ego, the point on the left, so at the end of the line is the ego ideal, and then the point on the far right is the object. So what we come to do In our drive to attain our own ego ideal, so that's our ideal self, we invest in an object, that image. So instead of, you know, this is how it kind of gets sublimated, we then go after that object that we have invested with that image. So the same thing can be, uh, and I'm just going to use this example because it makes the most sense to me, but in the case of Trump, for instance, how many poor people in the United States invest in him? what they want to be, they want to be rich. Like, uh, one of the big monikers or ideas that was floating around during the election was that Trump is going to make people rich. But like, absurd idea, but still, you know, it serves as a good example. Um, so these people invested in Trump, their desire to be rich, because that that is what he, what he is, right? So then he takes the place of their ego ideal but he's just a vessel right he's just a, he's a cathetic object that has been invested with his energy so then people strive for that which is how you know populism kind of comes about in, in its negative forms uh how it, if, it is able to so easily fall under the uh power of an oppressive authority so lauren berlant I think we can understand her understanding, understand her understanding, her theorization of cruel optimism in a similar way, where for Berlant, cruel optimism occurs when we invest a kind of hopeful potential in an object or a drive or desire, where we tell ourselves that that is what is going to make us happy, but it doesn't do that, and yet we don't know. So we think that, you know, getting more money will make us happy, Right? But you get more money and you aren't happy. So then what do you say? Well, I didn't get enough money. I have to make more money. Um, so these are all objects kind of cru- that point to cruel optimism for, for Berlant and the object or the kind of cathectic ego ideal for Freud. So this is expanded upon in the now the eighth chapter, so being in love and hypnosis, uh, where he says that almost at the beginning here, uh, in one class of cases, being in love is nothing more than the ob- object cathexis on the part of the sexual instincts with a view to directly s- to directly sexual satisfaction. A cathexis which expires, moreover, when this aim has been reached, this is what is called common sensual love. So these kind of sensual or sexual uh, affections can be traced through the course of a person's life or at the beginning. Um... They have, or uh, in his first phase, as Freud says, on 72, um, this has come to an end by the time he is five years old. The child has found the first object for his love and one or other of his parents and all of his sexual instincts with their demand for satisfaction have been united upon this object. So that object, cathexis. Okay, then we can see it at puberty uh, where there's set in new and very strong tendencies with directly sexual aims. So in unfavorable cases, They remain separate in the form of a sensual current from the tender emotional trends which persist. So in these two forms, through childhood, through puberty, and so on, uh, it is even obvious in many forms of love choice that the object serves as a substitute for some unattained ego ideal of our own. We love it on account of the perfections which we have striven to reach for our own ego, and with we should now, and which we should now like to procure in this roundabout way as a means of satisfying our narcissism. So, the case of Trump holds very well here. So, what this results in is the object consuming the ego. So, the object then has taken the place of the ego ideal, where people want to be rich, like that's their ego ideal, and then they invest in the object, trump that idea, so then they become totally invested in that, right? So, then you get populism. So if I may turn our attention back for a moment to the uh, illustration that Freud provides, but that I elucidated here, of the line, right? So on the far left, you have your ego ideal, ego in the middle, and then object on the right. Uh, how How this is illustrated for Freud is three of those lines, one stacked on top of the other. So then there's a guiding thread that comes through all of them. When all people are kind of invested in the in the case of this group in this external object so in the case of trump so that's how you get the you go from the individual ego ideal to the formation of a group kind of um, displacement of an ego ideal into an object so then follows us into the ninth chapter here the the herd instinct so it should be noted that despite how i'm kind of framing this depending where you land on the political spectrum um, this isn't a political thing, like as Freud is laying it out. Of course, it is political, like with a trained eye, you can certainly see how there are political motivations behind many of these ideas. But he's not like outright condemning the this um, transference of energy to uh, a cathartic vessel, right? So in his in this chapter, so in the herd instinct, then he comes to expound upon that. So it should be noted he says uh, the herd instinct leaves no or the idea of the herd instinct kind of put forth by Le Bon, uh, another guy now tr- trotter um and mcdougall so the herd instinct leaves no room at all for the leader he is merely thrown in among with the herd almost by chance it follows too that no path leads from this instinct to the need for a god the herd is without a herdsman but besides this trotter's exposition can be undermined psychologically That is to say, it can be made at all events probable that the herd instinct is not irreducible, that is not primary, in the same sense as the instinct of self-preservation and the sexual instinct. So what actually comes before the herd instinct for Freud are the uh, the, uh, instincts of self-preservation that are facilitated through a group and the sexual instinct that serves as the basis for the libidinal energy, the libido, that coheres the group together. So then in opposition to this herd instinct freud wants to put forth the idea of the horde instinct which like very quickly puts us into chapter 10 here so the group and the primal horde so he begins this chapter by saying that in 1912 i took up a conjecture of darwin's to the effect that the primitive form of human society was that of a horde ruled over despotically by a powerful male i attempted to show that the fortunes of this horde have left indestructible traces upon the history of human descent and especially that the development of total Uh, totemism uh, which comprises in itself the beginnings of religion morality and social organization is connected with the killing of the chief by violence and the transformation of the paternal horde into a community of brothers so thus he continues the group appears to us as a revival of the primal horde just as primitive man virtually survives in every individual so the primal horde may rise once more out of any random crowd Insofar as men are habitually under this way of group formation, we recognize it in the survival of the primal horde. So how I understand this is Freud is Freud's saying that in, humans have only survived because of groups. Groups are not should not be understood as a kind of regressive formation that should be um, kind of, should, that should be uh, disavowed. Right. So there's kind of like hyper individualism that runs through Le Bon and Trotter and McDougall that Freud wants to say is, you know, it's simply incorrect because what there was first was the group. The group or the primal horde, he says it, is wholly necessary for humans to survive. So when we see a group formation today or when he was writing this, it didn't simply mark a kind of regressive moment. Uh, that should be looked down upon, but rather it was the residue of something that has been around forever that humans have needed for to survive for a very long time. Precisely because the group is where we can sublimate and cathect these things among others that we love. Now this has its history in the in totemism, right, where we invest our energy with a with a uh, totem or an idol or something, or with the the primal father, as Freud says that serves the end of kind of control of well controlling, but dictating in a sense where or how people should act and form one another. And by doing so kind of presents themselves as a point to challenge or to throw overthrow that person, which when it happens, then forms a community of people because they've communally agreed upon like an enemy and overthrown that enemy enemy, harnessing their own kind of um love for one another, and the, what, how, what good can come out of it. So then we propel ourselves into chapter 11, a differentiating grade in the ego. So Freud says that each individual is a component part of numerous groups. He is bound by ties of identification in many directions, and he has built up his ego ideal upon the most various models. Each individual therefore has a share in numerous group minds, those of his race, of his class, of his creed, of his nationality, etc., and he can also raise himself above them to the extent of having a scrap of independence and originality. So this formulation troubles the idea of groups, as Freud is understanding them, as being like those mobs out in the street, right? Anyone can have a number of different groups or be a part of any number of different groups, and those groups overlap, right? Signaling the complexity of them. Uh, and it's very you know intersectional in this way and how the one's uh, commitment to some groups might be greater than others which isn't a bad thing per se um, or or weaker depending so then we return to the idea of the ego ideal where you know this person being invested in various different groups might have various different kind of ego ideals right that they that they invest their energy in so there's always like some kind of In this overlap, there are also differential points that the person, the individual, can displace their desires onto, and what this allows for is almost a good thing by having all these different possibilities, right? So, I would go so far as to say that the ego ideal might change depending on which group you're associated with to kind of fit in with that group. So, there is always, as Freud says, a feeling of triumph when something in the ego coincides with the ego ideal. And the sense of guilt can also be understood as an expression of tension between the ego and the ego ideal. So this kind of guilt might be um, curbed when you are part of numerous groups, right? Which allows you then to have this satisfaction here or have that satisfaction there as opposed to just investing yourself in one thing that, you know, you can't fully attain or can't fully be a part of or achieve which can lead to a lot of dread. So, and then finally, we move into chapter 12, Postscript. So here, Freud wants to take on a number of ideas that he kind of avoided. Sorry for the noise outside. Um, The first one, okay? So the distinction between identification of the ego with an object and replacement of the ego ideal by an object finds an interesting illustration in the two great artificial groups which we began by studying the army and the Christian church. So in the case of the army... Uh, The soldier would take his superior, that is, really the leader of the army, as his ideal, while he identifies himself with his equals and derives from the community of their egos the obligations for giving mutual help and for sharing possessions, which comradeship implies. But he becomes ridiculous if he tries to identify himself with the general. Because, yeah, that's just silly. Uh, Because at the level of the group, it demands a break from that leader. So it's wholly necessary for the individual only to see themselves in relation to the other individuals. And the same applies to the church, where it would be totally odd for the person to see themselves as Christ. No, they see themselves as equal in love, or equal in love to Christ among the other people or individuals. So the second thing, we have said that it would be impossible, sorry, that it would be possible to specify the point in the mental development of man At which the advance from group to individual psychology was also achieved by the individual members of the group. So this uh, could be understood as occurring uh, with the, or is it, I'll read it, the quote. So the hero, for example, was, terrible noise. The hero was a man who by himself had slain the father, the father who still appeared in the myth as a totemistic monster. Just as the father had been the boy's first ideal, so in the hero who aspires to the father's place, the poet now created the first ego ideal. So the uh, killing of the father is always replaced by some other kind of um, figure, right? Another totemistic figure or another leader because that's how Freud imagines this occurring. And he gives it, ascribes this to this point. Or to specify, in the myths and tales that are told of heroes, Could be understood as the first moment that we saw this transition from the or the individual emerges from the group psychology so now the third thing a great deal has been said in this paper about directly sexual instincts and those that are inhibited in their aims and it may be hoped that this distinction will not meet with too much resistance but a detailed discussion of the question will not be out of place even if it only repeats what has to a great extent already been said before so then he goes on the development of the libido in children has made us acquainted with the first but also the best example of sexual instincts which are inhibited in their aims so we must remember that for freud sexuality be- begins at age zero sexuality is what is always already there so because that is the case then it serves as a pro- as a foundation from which all group relations can emerge and in fact it is what holds them all together so he really is just repeating what he'd already said, but it's important to note that it's always already there. Like that is what is interesting about it. So then the last two, he says the last two remarks will have prepared us for finding that directly sexual tendencies are unfavorable to the formation of groups. So in the history of the development of the family, there have also, it is true been group relations of sexual love, group marriages, but the more important sexual love became for the ego. Uh, the, mo- Sorry. the more important sexual love became for the ego, and the more it developed the characteristics of being in love, the more urgently it required to be limited to two people. Um, as is prescribed by the nature of the genital aim, polygamous inclinations had to be content to find satisfaction in succession of changing objects. So, su- sublimation or uh, cathexis. So this poses a problem for the group instinct where Freud says that two people coming together for the purpose of sexual satisfaction insofar as they seek for solitude are making a demonstration against the herd instinct, the group feeling. The more they are in love, the more completely they suffice for each other. So like in the church and the army is two examples, relationships among people, sexual relationships in those spaces are seriously looked down upon so then we get this term this other term exogamy so one of the reactions to the parasite was after all the institution of totemistic exominy the prohibition of any sexual relation with those women of the family who had been tenderly loved since childhood Uh, so in this way a wedge is driven in between a man's tender and sensual feelings when still firmly fixed in his erotic life today And as a result of this exogamy, the sensual needs of men had to be satisfied with strange and unloved women. In the great artificial groups, the church, and the army, there is no room for women as a sexual object. The love relation between men and women remains outside these organizations. So it was necessary not to screw with the group in this way because it would risk um, kind of detecting the kind of love that was necessary to keep the group together where if it could be manifested in its physical form that is with sex then it would lose its uh its sublimating effects in reconciling and keeping the group together and then what that would point to or what that would result in is a kind of neurosis settling in because it would be the dissolution of well of the organizational principle of that reality so even though as freud says who do not regret the disappearance of religious illusions from the civilized world of today will admit that so long as they were enforced they offered those who were bound by them the most powerful protection against the danger of neurosis so this points to the distinction between neuroses and psychoses where neuroses is uh, almost a commitment to uh, reality in a very um, in a very overt way right so the neurotic person ke- wants to keep everything you know in check um, in a very kind of over-the-top way uh, and then so in the face of disillusion as might would might occur uh, then neurosis sets in right so the desire to keep everything together whereas psychosis is a kind of repudiation of the way the world is according to Freud so in the, if things were to fall apart by like the having uh, the sexual relations of in the group Uh, what might happen is the neurotic would feel obliged to replace by his own symptom formations the great group formations from which he is excluded. He creates his own world of imagination for himself, his own religion, his own system of delusions, etc. So then finally, uh, Freud gives us a kind of overview of some of the primary ideas. So, uh, being in love... Which is based on the simultaneous presence of directly sexual tendencies and of sexual tendencies that are inhibited in their aims so that the object draws a part of the narcissistic ego libido to itself it is a condition in which there is only room for the ego and the object then hypnosis resembles being in love and being limited to the these two persons but it is based entirely upon sexual tendencies that are inhibited in their aims and substantiates the object for the ego ideal then the group Multiplies this process, it agrees with hypnosis in the nature of the instincts which hold it together and in the replacement of the ego ideal by the object. But to this it adds identification with other individuals, which has perhaps, which was perhaps originally made possible by their having the same relation to their object. So these, this is kind of how the, the process goes. So then what stands, in his concluding remarks, what stands in opposition or outside of this system is the neurosis, neurotic, so the neuro, neurosis stands outside the series. It also is based on a peculiarity in the development of the human libido. So to this extent, it resembles hypnosis and group formation and having the character of a regression, which is absent from being in love. It makes its appearance wherever. The advance from directly sexual instincts to those that are inhibited in their aims has not been completely successful. And it represents a conflict between those instincts which have been received into the ego after having passed through this development and these por- those portions of the same instincts which, like other instinctive desires that have been completely repressed, strive from the repressed unconscious to attain direct satisfaction. Oh, so you get that complicated point to end it. Um, good stuff here. Uh, good old Freud. Um, barring a lot of, you know, problematic things that people have rightly critiqued Freud and psychoanalysis more broadly for. um, There are interesting insights here, and it's important to to learn these things, I I think. Uh, But with that being said, for those that listened, I assume people have problems with what I did. I'm like, to reiterate, I'm not an expert on Freud. I'm not an expert on anything, but I just happen to know less about Freud than, than other things. I just, had to read this and, you know, saw it as, didn't want to, you know, not discuss it because I'd read it and I feel like I understood it. So with that being said, if anyone has any problems or wants to add anything or clarify things, fucking, you know how to do it. And I look forward to it, but otherwise,